Matthew 27, 15, page 998 in the Pew Bible. It was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Amen. I wonder if you have ever seen one of those great military processions on your television screens on News 24. Uh, maybe a great leader stands there as all of uh, the military might of his nation kind of marches past all of the munitions and missiles roll past on big military uh, tanks or carriers, all the troops and tanks go past, and maybe there's a great crowd there waving their flags and chanting their slogans and singing their songs, and the message to the world is clear. You would be crazy to take us on. Anyone who takes us on will surely be defeated. Well, that kind of thing has a long history. Uh, Roman historians tell us that in 30 AD, the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, led a procession of Roman cavalry and centurions into the city of Jerusalem. And you can imagine the scene as they entered into the great city of God, these well-trained, well-armed soldiers on horseback, armor Gleaming, heads held high, strong, 
and proud. Who would dare to take on the military might of Rome? Well, today in Palm Sunday, we remember another procession around the same time as that. And not just a governor, but a king enters Jerusalem. He is king of a kingdom greater even than the empire of Rome. And Christians give this entry into Jerusalem a great title, the triumphal entry. But the problem is when you, you, you begin to read of this triumphal entry, it doesn't look very triumphant, does it? Uh, the king has no gleaming armor. He has no sword by his side. He has no crown on his head. He has no soldiers around him. And he comes into Jerusalem on all things, uh, of all things, on a donkey. Not on a great horse of war, but on a donkey of peace. It seems so small and so weak and so fragile. But there is one thing going for this man on that day. There is a great crowd filled with great enthusiasm and excitement as they sing their songs, as they chant their slogans, as they wave their branches, as they take off their coats and lay them on the ground before Jesus. They are convinced that this man is special. They are convinced that this man is the one that God had promised would come. They are convinced that this man is the king uh, in the line of David, who God promised would come and deliver them. The people of God are there in Jerusalem for the Passover, which is the greatest of all of the Jewish feasts, and it's the time that the people of God would come together to remember how God faithfully delivered them from slavery in Egypt through the man that God raised up to be the great deliverer through Moses. And they'd gathered together, crowded into Jerusalem, which was not a big city by our standards, filled with people, filled with religious fervor. But there are people who are feeling that they are slaves once again. Not slaves to Egypt. Not slaves in Egypt, but slaves to Rome, even in their own country. There are foreign soldiers walking their streets. There are foreign rulers telling them what they can do and what they can't do. And it feels a lot like the slavery that they once knew in Egypt. So they are looking, they are longing for God to send this deliverer to them to set them free in the way that Moses had done all those years ago. And now this man from Nazareth of all places has come. They've heard the things that he has been doing, 
the words that he has been speaking, and they think to themselves, surely this is the one. Surely this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the King that God has promised would come to deliver his people. You can sense the excitement. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they were so, so right. And yet in the end, they were so, so wrong. Jesus was the Messiah. He was the King that God had promised would come to deliver His people, to set His people free. But He wasn't there to free them from the tyranny of Rome. He had come to free His people from the thing that really oppressed them, that really made them slaves. He had come to free His people from their sin. Jesus says, the one who sins is a slave to sin. It wasn't slavery from out with themselves that was their main problem. It was their own sin that, that was, it was within themselves. That was the thing which bound them up, which held them back, which made them slaves. And Jesus had come to Jerusalem to free his people from their slavery to sin and from the wages of sin, from the fruit of sin, from the end result of sin, which is death and hell. The problem that they had was that they had set their sights too low. They were looking at something smaller. They believed that Jesus would come to set them free from a slavery that was only ever going to be temporal anyway. God in Christ was doing something bigger and better than their small expectations. And I wonder how often we fall into that very same trap. I wonder how often we set our expectations too low. And in so doing, we, we, we fail to see the bigger thing that God is desiring to do in and through our lives. I wonder how often we set our sights too low and we get frustrated and we get discouraged when God doesn't act in the way that we expect Him, the way that we want Him to act. That was certainly true for those people on this day. The crowds, when they realized that Jesus wasn't going to set them free from Rome, wasn't going to raise an army to defeat the Roman occupying force, they soon turned against Jesus. And it is, to my mind, beyond reasonable doubt that some of the people in the crowd on uh, Palm Sunday who were singing and shouting and laying their coats and waving their branches some of them who were shouting Hosanna to the Son of David on the Sunday would have been in the crowd who were shouting Crucify Him 
on Good Friday. To my mind, that is beyond reasonable doubt. But what is absolutely certain is that when the crowd were shouting for Jesus to be crucified and Barabbas to be released, there were no dissenting voices. This great enthusiastic crowd on Sunday, you know, where were they on Friday? To defend Jesus, to speak for Jesus, to give Pilate an excuse to let Jesus go free. How fickle they were. There's a cup semi-final on uh, soon, today, Aberdeen against Celtic. And uh, sadly, Airdrie are, are not in the cup anymore. I'm not sure when they went out, but they went out. And I had a, a, a look uh, this morning, that's how well prepared I am, I had a look this morning to see when the last time that Airdrie won the cup was. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, not now, at the door, uh, but I believe that Airdrie have been in the cup final quite a few times, but have only won it once, and that was in the 20s. And I try to imagine the scene, normally you have an open-top bus, and crowds waving their flags and their scarves, cheering as the players show the, the, the trophy to the, to the fans. I don't know if buses were invented in the 20s, maybe you had an open-top tram or an open-top horse and carriage, I'm not sure. But football fans are very fickle. Imagine Airdrie were to win the cup next season. There would be great crowds, there would be great celebration, everyone would be filled with joy, they would have a special event at the stadium, they'd have 10,000 people in there, no problem at all. But imagine then that they got relegated. Then we would see how fickle football fans are. Because many of the crowds who were cheering them on when they were successful, when they were meeting the goals and the expectations, they will be nowhere to be seen. The, the cheers will have turned to jeers. And it's not just football fans that are fickle. All people have a tendency to be fickle. When God is meeting our expectations, when He's doing what we want Him to do, and we are filled with joy, then when things happen that we don't understand, or when our prayers aren't answered in the way or in the time frame that we expect, that we hope, how fickle we can be, how quickly our cheers can turn to jeers. We might still come to church, we might still sing the songs, we know what to do, we know how to put the mask on, but maybe in our hearts, maybe under the surface of our lives, the cheers have turned to jeers. And that was true of these people all those years ago. Hosanna to the Son of David became, crucify him. And so Jesus went all the way to Golgotha. I crucified Jesus. It's what the crowd wanted and that's what they got. And personally, I don't feel like that man did anything to deserve that, but I was just a soldier doing my job. When the governor gave his sentence, that's when I would go to work. I love that job. 
I felt like I was administering justice every time I nailed someone to a tree. But that man, that man didn't deserve that. Didn't make sense to me. It makes no sense. There I was, rotting in a jail cell, or stealing, murdering. You name it, I've done it. And I knew the next time I stepped foot outside that jail cell, well, and that was it. So the guards, they came and got me, and they put me beside this guy that was beaten to a pulp. Then Governor Pilate started asking the crowd, which one of these men do you want me to set free? I mean, it was obvious. I mean, the crowd, they're going to say, let Jesus go. And then I was going to tell them where they could go. And then the crowd, they started chanting Barabbas. I mean, I mean, they were saying my name. They were saying my name over and over and over again. The guards, they threw me to the crowd and they, and they, and they took Jesus to Golgotha. I mean, I mean, one minute I, I am a man marked for death and then the next I'm, I'm free. It made no sense. So I followed him all the way to Golgotha. I was stationed at Golgotha that day. We just raised the second criminal when they brought him to me. I'll never forget the way he looked. He'd been beaten, spit on, whipped. He was unrecognizable as a man. Hideous. What was left of his clothes were stripped off of him and he was thrown down on the cross. That's when I went to work. Generally, when you crucify a man, the first hand is the most difficult. The criminal wants to get away, he fights you. So I would have two soldiers hold him down, but this guy, he didn't put up a fight. I just thought he was exhausted. As an executioner, I've been called every name in the book. I've had men yell at me, plead with me. But I wasn't prepared for that. He looked at us. He looked at me. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He forgave me. Forgive them. He said, forgive them. Who is he? Forgive. It should have been me up there. I was the one that was supposed to be hanging on that cross. He took my place. Then I looked up, and I remember he took a uh, deep, agonizing breath and he said, it is finished. And then, he died. Surely, this man was the son of God. This man was and is the son of God. Uh, he is the one who sets his people free from the, the worst type of slavery there is, from slavery to our sin, and free from the fruit of sin, which is 
death and hell. And the way that he did that was by humbling himself, not just humbling himself to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, but humbling himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross for us. He took our guilt, he took our shame on his shoulders. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So come to him. Come to him in repentance and in faith. But don't come to him with the wrong expectations, like the crowd on Palm Sunday. Don't come thinking that he promises life will be really easy, that you'll get that promotion, that you'll be rich, uh, that you'll never get ill, that life will never be stressful. He doesn't promise any of these things. Not in the here and now. That, that day is coming, but not in the here and now. But he does offer true freedom. True freedom. Freedom from spiritual hunger and dissatisfaction. I am the bread of life, he says. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He offers freedom from the weak, for the weak and weary to find rest in him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And he frees us from what the Bible calls the last enemy, which is death. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So come to him, believe in him, and know the freedom that only he can bring. And when you experience that freedom and the joy that comes from that freedom, give your praise and your worship and your all to him. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to stand to give our praise to the Lord.